0: This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. First I'd like to thank one of our sponsors, Credit Intel. Knowing the financial health of retailers is crucial for the success of your retail-related business. That's what Credit Intel is for. Credit Intel analyzes the financial health of hundreds of publicly and privately held retailers in different sectors. With a subscription to Credit Intel, you have access to comprehensive analysis of retailers' financial condition and their expert analytics team. Visit CreditIntel.com for more information. All right, everyone. Today I have for you Beth Azor. Beth is a legend in the retail real estate industry. We are business associates. Beth owns six shopping centers today. She is an entrepreneur that also has a retail consulting business. She's been in the retail real estate business for over 34 years She has done deals with major national tenants as well as opened hundreds of mom-and-pop local tenants and shopping centers across the state of Florida. Welcome to the show, Beth.
1: Thanks, Chris. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Excited to have you. So um, excited to have you because you have a plethora of knowledge as well as you've made more deals than uh, most people, so I'm sure you have a ton of stories that could have uh, been on this show, and that's just a prelude that we'll probably have you on again in the future. But uh, you know, the premise of this show is the 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 story behind the deal and how that store ended up in your neighborhood, and who are we talking about today, Beth?
1: So today we're going to talk about a mom and pop called Kane's Ware in south florida they are the apparel merchandiser for the university of miami football team and you know just school teams basketball baseball so they carry the merchandise for the school and the school is located about 40 miles away from my shopping center i'm in fort lauderdale a suburb of fort lauderdale my shopping center and they are down in the heart of miami
0: Got it. And so how did you end up hearing about this, who they were?
1: So one day, my office was in my shopping center. We uh, leased in one of our vacancies, our office space. And I was driving to work one day. And I noticed in the median of the street, we're on a very highly trafficked street, about 70,000 cars a day. And in the grassy median there were about 40 lawn signs, you know, tiny, like, you know, one foot by two feet with little stakes in the ground. And it said, Caneswear Apparel, and it had an address. And I recognized the address. First of all, the word apparel jumped out at me, Chris, because, you know, in our new retail world of online sales versus bricks and mortar, there are not a lot of apparel Mom and pops expanding these days, right?
0: Yeah, the, normally those signs I I see say we buy houses. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. So don't make me laugh. <laughs> so Sorry. um, so we uh, and and I noticed that the address was for an industrial area nearby my center. So I walked into the office. I have a a junior leasing agent that worked with me, Mackenzie. And I said, did you see those signs out in the median? And she she said, what signs? I mean, there were 40 of them, you know, the millennial generation. So I took her outside and I showed her the signs and I said, we need to go find this guy because this guy, you know, we need to have him in our shopping center. If he's got a bunch of University of Miami apparel, that is a destination tenant, right? Fans are going to find him. That's why he's in an industrial area because he's a destination and, Chris, you know, getting a destination tenant in your shopping center that has a following is one of the keys to, you know, leasing a successful shopping center. You have to have a combination of destination and impulse tenants, right? Absolutely. So it screamed to me destination. So we, she said, okay. So she goes over and tries to find him and she finds him and he's his door is locked and it said call for appointment. She comes back and she said, "I left a message. I haven't heard back." And I said, "Well, did you look in the window?" And she said, "Yeah, it was filled with merchandise—filled like jerseys and T-shirts and hats and tennis shoes." And I'm like, "Okay, this is this guy's great. We got to get this guy." Well, typical, you know, sales folks. Uh, <laughs> we forgot. <laughs> so, so um, the you know, and this this by the way was what, in, about, in what was year? And what year? So he was prepping for. Oh, okay. it was probably about six years ago. So, so, uh, we forgot and literally it went out of my head and what happened a year later, I'm driving to the office. I come upon my, you know, major thoroughfare that my center's on and there are the darn signs again, 40 signs. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Cause it's football season again. So he's prepping you need some marketing genius. Right. So I'm like, I go in the office. I said, Mackenzie, the signs are out again. We got to go find this guy. So she goes over there. It, the space is locked call for appointment. So I said, no, I, I, we are not going to let go. So she goes, she goes, she calls, she sends him a message on Facebook. You know, we're really on it. And finally she connects with him and he says to her, um, you know, I'm, I'm not paying any rent at this industrial location. You know, there's no way I can afford to go in a traditional, you know, strip shopping center. And she said, well, please, after football season, we know you're busy now, but after football season, come and talk to my boss because she's really, she really wants to do something with you and she'll be creative. So he says, okay, so about, so I'm now all over this. And, and like in January after the, all the bowl games, I'm like, we got to go find this guy. I want to talk to this guy. And one day I'm sitting in my office and I have like, I can see to the front door when people walk in, like there's these open window areas. And I look and I see a guy walk in and he's got a shirt on that says Caneswear. Chris, I almost leaped through those windows. I jumped up and I went running out to the front. I'm like, oh my gosh, you have to come to the shopping center. And he's like, he's like, takes a step back. Whoa. Right. And he says, I can't afford you. And I said, look, I had had a Sprint store that had expanded and left an 1,100-square-foot space, and it was a mess, right? Ceiling tiles were, you know, half cut off, um, grid hanging down, you know, not my typical. I usually like to have really nice, clean vacancies, but this expansion had just happened. The space was a mess. I was getting ready to spend some money to clean it up, and I said, look, I have this space. And I have, and Chris, you know, I have a sub guy that is like does five times the average sub store sale revenues that this little vacancy was right next to the sub guy. I said, I have a space next to La Spada Subs. He goes, oh, I just ate at La Spada Subs. You know, they kill it. I said, exactly. I can put you right there. You need to take it as is. I'll do it for a thousand a month during football season. You know, you can... Sign the lease now for like this pop up. And between July and January next year, um, you know, you see how you do. And I said, how much do you do in the warehouse space? And he said about 300,000. I said, you'll double that here. He goes, if I double that here, I'm going to stay and pay you a real rent. I said, great. Was this
0: going to be a relocation or was this going to be his like second location
1: i wanted him to just t- bring his merchandise and open in the store whether he kept the warehouse or not but it would have been it would have been his main store for during football season and then he would have kept the warehouse just for mer- you know stored merchandise and,
0: and the warehouse was in miami area
1: no 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 the warehouse was a mile from my shopping center oh, okay
0: so it was close okay Got it.
1: So we end up shaking on it. He does the deal. He fixes up the space. He spends about 20 grand more than he wanted to fixing up the space. And he opens for football season. And Chris, he did $600,000 in five months. Wow. So now he's like, okay, I need to stay here, right? So, But I can't afford it in off season. What are you going to do for me? So I said, look, what we'll do is you can pay $500 a month in the off-season, but then you have to pay $5,000 a month next year for, during football season. And he agreed to do it. So we did that for about two years. And he went from that $600,000, the next year he did $800,000. And then um, at one point he was doing over a million. And he was in this 1,100-square-foot space he was doing so much online business literally in the aisleways of the store. You could not walk in this guy's store. And I kept trying I have my my I have a 42,000 square foot center so it's it's an, an unanchored strip center. Panera Bread is my anchor and it's but it's split into do, two buildings. So it's 20,000 and 20,000 and I wanted to move him and expand him to 2300 but he'd have to move away from the sub guy, which he believed, you know, was our anchor and go in the next building. And I said, you need more space. You could do more business. We can give you a little online, you know, a little area for online sales, shipping. And he, it, he just did not want to move, you know, mom and pops. Once they're successful, they, they're very fearful of, of moving because any little thing, right. Could kind of disrupt sales. So yeah. I finally, totally. Yeah so I finally got him to agree to move and he moved two football seasons ago. So 2017 and he literally he, he I think he went from 400, three or 400,000 in online to 800 and his sales were, you know, close to like one hat, 1.5 and North of that in, um, in the retail store sales. Now for him, the success of the football team really plays a large part. Totally. So even though he did well this football season, because they didn't do so well as a team, it wasn't as great as the prior years. But he's now in a, he signed, you know, a long-term lease, I think a five-year with a five-year option. He's paying real rent, right? He's paying market rent like everyone else. And he's been doing that since after two years. So he's been paying market rent for about five years. And now he's doubled in space, has a whole, he literally has about 800 square feet just for shipping and online. So
0: so does this guy have like a deal with Miami University? Is that how he's able to do this?
1: He has contracts with, I think, uh, Nike and Adidas. And he probably, he, they're very involved he has a partner that's very involved in the boosters, so I believe that they do have some connection. Um, the this, this school itself has a store, an apparel store, but that's down in Miami. It's at like in the college bookstore. So this is the only guy that has like. Do you remember? I don't know if you, I'm, you follow football. I think I do. you know. Do you remember when they did the whole turnover chain thing? Yeah. He was the first guy that got those shirts, the turnover chain shirts, the t-shirts. So I, I know he has some connection and relationship with the school, but I don't know if it's an exclusive or, or whatever, but he, he's the largest supplier of the university of Miami's merchandise outside of the bookstore on the, on the campus.
0: Wow. I always see guys like this in like college towns, but I don't, it doesn't feel like any of them are this successful. And and maybe it's just a, a a feeling, and
1: and they all very well might be. Is you know what you're saying? You're you're saying no for the prospect right now. I,
0: I'm saying no for the prospect for anyone who's out there. Beth has a book. Don't say no for the prospect. But but it doesn't feel like they're doing the marketing that he does. That they're shipping from the store like he is. That he's that they're, they're this big of a draw. This guy seems like an anomaly to me. Is he, clearly he's a pretty strong businessman. Have you found, you know, you travel the country. Have you seen anyone like this guy anywhere?
1: So he is um, a phenomenal marketer. So they do signings in the store, right? They'll do like, they'll have football team, football players come, coaches come. Um, They're very involved with the chamber of commerce. We just had like a tailgate party at the shopping center. Experiential retail. There it is. Exactly. And he's, and he's open to a lot of ideas. Like I went to him and said, after i went to shop talk last year which is you know this phenomenal retail conference where we learn a lot about what's going on in the retail world i went to him and said i know you do a lot during football season and that's great but you already have a lot of business during football season why don't you have like host one night a month during the off season and have topics people come in and talk about topics for example it would be great if you had like a doctor and a coach talk about Concussions, you know, should my son play tackle football? And, you know, and then you bring in the moms, and, you know, you come like it's from seven to nine, and you have wine and cheese, and it's during the off season. And they love that idea. And they actually are creating a program now for this coming 2020 off season called Canesware Cares, or something about Canesware Cares for the community. And they're going to have lectures in their store during the off season. So what's so great about him also is he listens to advice and doesn't think he knows it all, right? So, um, and that's, that's very refreshing for a mom and pop to be open-minded um, because I'm not a retailer. I just, but when I go into these conferences and I learn what other retailers are doing around the country, when I bring it back to my mom and pops, it's, it's refreshing when one says, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Let me try that
0: that is a phenomenal idea I, I so i going back to what you said the listening piece i think all too often in real estate the the landlord tenant relationship is you know has this perception of being this like really tenuous relationship and it's as a connotation to be combative and whenever you can be a partner like that and people partner i think both parties end up being more successful so kudos to you for constantly trying to partner with your tenants and kudos to him for being receptive but going back to the idea i think that idea is genius you know in a world of infotainment and that's what this show is right infotainment hopefully it's a a little entertaining if at all but i I think it's a little bit and and you know we've had some great guests and the information is is good and i think that's what that is right bringing the the days of just throwing a product on the wall and selling it they're not gone, but it's, it's a lot harder. And when you're doing things like having guest lecturers about topics that where you can connect with the, your potential consumers and you can connect with the community and have them connect with your brand. uh, That's how you create long-term staying power and the channel by which you buy at that point, whether it's online through a catalog or in a brick and mortar store becomes irrelevant because you've built this connection with your consumer. So I think that uh, that's a great idea, and I, I'd love for you to tell us how that ends up going.
1: Yeah, I will. And and he's he also is um, very involved with or very open to discussing ideas to bring tenants. Like one of the one of the things I love about his name is Brett, the owner, and what I love is whenever I'm in the store, you know, which is probably a couple times a month someone will walk in and he'll say, hey, Chris, how are you? How are you doing? He prides himself in knowing his customers by name. Yeah. And he practices it. And, you know, that's the most important word in, you know, in anyone's communication, right? Vocabulary, their name. So he's, he's constantly people, hey, J- hey, Julie, hey, Kathy, hey, John, that's all I hear. And I mean, and he's got thousands of of customers and clients. And I said to him one day, how in the world do you do that? He goes, I I practice it. He goes, because I think I I found early on that it was very important and people really like it when you recognize them. And he says, I practice it. So I I, I just thought that was genius.
0: Yeah. That real local feel, that old school mentality about really, I think the retailers that have that concept come back around again are going to be really successful the the, there's a retailer in the northeast uh called pc richard and and they do they're an electronics retailer and they do a lot a lot of the same where someone will go they have 60 stores and someone will go in the store and the person will come home and tell their friend you know uh, or and their friend will say you know i need a a washer and dryer and they'll say go see joe at pc richards joe can help you figure that out and having that and having that local connection connection and Connecting with the consumer is pivotal, and it kind of felt like it kind of got lost in the '90s and early 2000s. And I think it's starting to make a comeback as everybody, whether you're an online or brick and mortar retailer, is trying to really create an emotional connection with their consumers. And I think that's great.
1: Well, for sure, for sure. And and you know, we're both on the other side, right? We're landlords, and and you deal with a lot of leasing agents, and I deal with a lot of leasing agents, and you know, in my sales trainings, I, what I hear people say all the time is I'm not good at remembering names. And I always say, well, you should get out of the sales business then like that's such a cop out. And, you know, we can improve, right. We can take an online class to improve, you know, remembering names, but it's just not, if you're in business and you're in sales, you need to be remembering names. Now, can we remember a thousand? No, but we can just get better at it every day, right? I don't know
0: who's good or bad at remembering names. I think it comes back to what Brett said, your Canesware tenant, which is, I practice. It was a priority for him, right? If it's a priority for you to remember somebody's name, you will remember their name. I don't care if you consider that a skill of yours or not. It's just about effort. And if you decide that it's important to you, then you will be a person who's really good at remembering names. And clearly he decided it was important to him. And so he practiced and he made an effort to do it. It's that simple. If you're saying you're not good, it's sure. it's not a priority for you. So true. For both parties, both you and Brett, as you, th- this whole deal that went from, A sales call that was failed to uh, a year later, where the sales call was successful to a pop-up store, to a permanent store, to an expanded store, and it just kept growing and growing. What are some of the what are the one, two, or three biggest lessons from this transaction? Because so much, or multiple transactions, so much happened uh, in this, and I think it's fascinating and. What do you pull out for yourself and, you know, look back on from Sure, this, and, and what I forgot deal. to
1: mention is he's he opened an outlet store in another shopping center of mine as well last year. So he has two locations with me now. That's amazing. And I had to drag him screaming and shouting to that one too, but he's they're not doing as well, but he's happy that he has that other store. He did it with a partner with, like, antiques and collectibles. So I think going back to your question – Lessons learned, you know, follow up in sales, no matter what sales you're in is so key. And if you're not organized and you don't have a system, whether it's a CRM, you know, customer resource management system or customer relationship management system, some way to follow up with the customer. And we dropped the ball on that. You know, we weren't organized. We spoke to him. We went and saw him, but we didn't have it in a system where we could tickle ourselves to follow up and call back after football season. So, you know, I think that that's um, number one. And I think follow-up just in sales. How many times, Chris, you know, either early on in your career, or what you've heard from your leasing team where they had a good idea, they called on a guy, but they didn't follow up. And then six months later, they're driving down the street and they see a coming soon sign for that retailer in another shopping center. And you're like, oh, like, why didn't I follow up, right? Painful. Painful. So follow up. The other thing is, I think, being creative. Um, you know, 10 years ago, very, very, very few landlords were thinking that a pop-up was an opportunity. Very few. It, unless you were in a, in a mall and you were doing kiosk leasing. This is a thing. And, and when I travel the country and I talk to mom and pop retailers for my clients, if I walk in and they've got a bunch of merchandise, You know, it might be an educational, you know, toy and bookstore. It could be furniture. If they have merchandise and they're bursting at the seams and they're not looking for a second location, you know, I will say, what what do you think about a pop-up? You have merchandise. Have you ever thought about another location? Um, So I think, and and sometimes it can be going like, like with him, it was football season. You know, it could be a uniform store during back to school. Right where you know the parents are driving 20 miles to go to this uniform school, uniform store. Well, why don't you just open a pop-up for a couple months in my shopping center closer to where your clientele is, and then maybe that turns into a permanent lease for you. So I think that landlords, and I, I do believe this is coming around more with the larger companies, but if you have landlords that are listening to your podcast, which I think you do, that are more like me. You know, I'm a small landlord. I only own six shopping centers. Have those landlords considered being flexible and creative if you have a good tenant? And even if they look, two, uh, I had a Michaels move out three, uh, six months ago, and we tried to put a furniture store in in a neighboring community. They came and said we want to do a furniture store during Black Friday, the weekend before Black Friday, Black Friday weekend, and the weekend after and if we do well maybe we'll talk to you about staying they ended up not doing well so they moved out so i didn't get a permanent lease but i got traffic for 3 weekends that i wouldn't have normally gotten so and and they paid me rent i think that landlords should be more c- creative and i think mom and pops i know you have a your audience is filled with you know successful entrepreneurs looking for locations i would encourage those mom and pops and those those independent entrepreneurs to ask landlords hey i have a bunch of product you know maybe it's a bike store and maybe they've been in their one location for 20 years but they've got a bunch of extra merchandise could they open and try out another submarket with some of their extra merchandise so i would encourage the the entrepreneurs that are listening to not be afraid to ask the question because you never know—you might be surprised,
0: right? I think it's a, it's probably a hard one to put a number on, but I but I'll ask you anyway. What do you think the the, the percentages of pop up stores in America that are converting to permanent tenants?
1: Ten percent. I mean, look, I think that you know we we keep reading about online retailers, right? That started with pop ups. And now are becoming permanent, so I think that number is going to significantly increase.
0: Yeah, I think so too. I think I think one of the reasons is there's a lot of pop up tenants today that the intent is to be a pop up. They don't have any intent to actually turn it into a permanent store. I, I, I even I think I read recently like Target did a, a pop up recently in some urban environment. Uh, I, I'm it's lost on me where they did this and what they did, but I was fascinated by that. So this is the most successful pop-up story I've heard. And I, the mall guys for years have had temp tenants where, and when I say mall guys, the mall developers of the world, they've had temp tenants. And one of the things they constantly try to do is, con, you know, temp to perm, they, uh, it's called, and convert temp tenants to perm. And they are successful, you know, almost every Every mall I saw at the time had, over the course of its history, had some percentage of temp to perm tenants, uh, meaning they were t- originally temp tenants and converted to permanent. I think the, the concept um, we're calling it so new, uh, I, I actually think it's a, a concept that's been around. It's just, and it's been around in the enclosed mall world for a while. Now it's being embraced a lot more elsewhere, in particular in urban high street retail, I think your story is inspiring because uh, that even in the mall world, that's one of the most successful temp to perm stories I've I've ever heard of. And I, I think one of the lessons for me in that is the successes, you know, the marriage between, is it the right tenant and the right property? the guy was doing such a significant volume it was a no brainer that being in a more pr- uh, prominent location would increase sales and traffic and easy to dr- to drive that bus you know there's a lot of groups who were taking shots on they like an idea and they open a store and they're not a good merchant or a good retailer and they just had a good idea and the guy had $20,000 in sales but they, someone thought it was a good idea and they try a pop-up shop and it doesn't work or the concept doesn't resonate with the consumer in that community. This guy was already doing $300,000 he was a successful business owner he was just you know hesitant because the, the R word scared him uh, which was rent and the lesson was you got him over his fear of the R word and uh, ended up uh, proving to him that he was going to be more successful in doing so. Well,
1: and real quick, I know we're running out of time, but I have another very successful, very quick story. My son took piano teacher, piano lessons from a teacher out of her home. Her name was Miss Vanessa. And I had a bunch of vacancies. It was in the downturn. And I called her up one day and I said, Miss Vanessa, today's your lucky day. You've always wanted to try opening your own studio I have a former chiropractor space. It's got three separate rooms. We can you can go in and soundproof them and you can try it. 800 square feet. You don't have to pay any rent. You just pay your give me your insurance and pay your utility bill and in 6 months let's see how you're doing. She ended up staying with me for 8 years and expanding from 800 square feet to 2300 square feet. The only reason she's not there today is because I ended up filling my shopping center around her and she got from zero rent up to about $24 a square foot plus cam and my rents at the time were 40 plus cam. So I helped her find a flex space and she ended up going nearby in a flex warehouse area, taking 4,000 square feet for a brand new studio at the same rent that she was paying in my shopping center the exact same shopping center that canesware went into
0: that's phenomenal that's unbelievable that that, and because you had a vision some of these small business owners making a lot more money
1: right And, and she had in her out of her home she was capped out right she could only do i think 10 students a day she ended up in the first 30 days of opening her studio in my center hired six teachers and was able to when she moved out of our shopping center i think she was up to 300 students the message i want your audience to hear and you know both the entrepreneurs and the landlords the leasing agents is now now i'm not we're not going to go and say to a restaurant come do a pop up right the pop ups have to be low overhead low infrastructure businesses it has to be something that is a service like a music studio where all you have to do is bring in the teachers and the music and do some soundproofing, or with Keynes where bring in the merchandise. You're not going to do a pop-up with a medical user that needs infrastructure, a dentist, a, a you know, a restaurant. But if you are an entrepreneur that has a location or has a service and your customers are saying, I wish you would open over here you need to start listening to your customers and then make a call to a local landlord. And you might get a guy like Chris or me who would say, yeah, let's go, let's try it. If there's vacancy in the center, you know, I'm guessing the landlords would might take, you know, a chance and it could be a win-win for, for both parties.
0: Awesome, totally agree. At a minimum, your Canesware tenant is going to have one new customer because my next time in Florida, I got to check this store out. I think it, uh, I actually think, uh this you know a lot of people in the on the commercial real estate developer side tour different properties when they go to different markets hearing the story and it just dawned on me I think this uh, this store should be on uh, people's list when they go to new markets to visit and check it out so it's now on mine and uh, I'm gonna go check it you, out. And you so- know
1: when I, I I was hired to go to Boise, Idaho to do some canvassing for a mixed use center that had a bunch of vacancies and the first thing I did was say is there a Boise? is there a football team for Boise, this Boise State? And they said, yes. We <laughs> yeah. found out there were three of them. We went and vid three different ones owned by three different companies. One was owned by the school, one was owned by a big conglomerate, and one was a local guy. And we went and made a deal with the local guy that summer for uh, a pop-up. So, Amazing. So, the, so it, all you leasing agents out there, go find your local college apparel store and see if you can do a pop-up in your center.
0: Awesome advice. I, I, I love that advice. All right, Beth. So our last segment of the show, we call retail wisdom. It's three questions and it's the same questions for everybody. It's our version of rapid fire. So, but you don't have to do it in a rapid fire. It's just our three questions at the end of the show. So question one, best piece of commercial real estate advice for everyone out there.
1: So my best piece of commercial real estate advice is knowing your market. And I think that works for the leasing agents, the, proper, the, the shopping center owners, and the entrepreneurs. Because if you're educated about your market, if the entrepreneur that's listening knows how many vacancies are in the market that they want to try to you know, find a space in, they'll be educated. If they know that there's not a lot they'll know why the landlord's being tough. And the same thing, the leasing agents, if there's 40 empty spaces, they can't be as tough as they would like to. So I think understanding the shopping centers and the vacancies and the occupancy around your property or where you would like to lease in is crucial.
0: Totally agree. That's great advice. Extinct retailer you would like to bring back from the dead.
1: So I'm going to go a little local with this, and I'm going to say a restaurant, not a retailer. Uh, But there was a Jewish deli down here in Miami called the Rascal House. And they were an institution, and they had the best corned beef, the best blueberry cheesecake, and the best salted rye rolls ever. You had to wait an hour in line. Literally, people waited outside in line to to, to go into the restaurant. And then when you got in the restaurant, the waitresses were rude to you. <laughs> so why we put up with that, but it was, it was probably there 50 years, and it closed about 10 years ago. I really miss it. My mom, may she rest in peace, loved it. So for nostalgia reasons, I wish that would come back.
0: Amazing. Those are the best stories, the nostalgic ones. So third question, guess that retail price. I'm going to give you a product, and I want you to tell me what you think it retails for. You are a retail expert, and I want to see if you can get this one, Beth. So I I did some homework yesterday on the top-selling adult Christmas gifts, and one that made the list was the Kombucha Making Kit on the Brooklyn Brew Shop's website. Everything you need to brew your own homemade green tea kombucha in one kit – Making kombucha couldn't be easier. It's a half-gallon glass fermenting jar, kombucha sco- scooby, kombucha starter liquid, cane sugar, green tea, cloth cover, and a band. What does that retail for on Brooklyn Brew Shop?
1: Oh my gosh, I don't even know what kombucha is. I'm gonna Kombucha guess. is a,
0: a millennial tea. It's, for, it's a healthy tea. It sounds like you, you know the over the holidays you gotta I need get some, some kombucha. Of
1: that. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to guess it's uh, $79.99. Uh,
0: the, the, the retail price is $45, and it's one of the hottest Christmas gifts of the season, the kombucha making kit. So wow. thank you for playing along.
1: <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me, Chris. Thank I really you. enjoyed
0: it. Talk soon, Beth. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold, if you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us. This podcast highlights the stories behind deals from all perspectives, so it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, attorney, or an architect. Contact Diane Lee at D-L-E-E at DLCMGMT.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.